Our gospel reading this morning will be coming from Luke 4, verses 1 through 13, which is a change from your bulletin. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority in their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please remain standing as we pray. Oh, Father, we ask that your will would be done and your kingdom would come. Spirit, we ask that you would enliven this text, this Genesis 21 that we read this morning. May you embolden us to be people who follow you, no matter the cost. We ask that in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Faithfulness in unexpected places. Faithfulness in unexpected places. I traveled around Europe by myself for a month during the summer of 2015. And I started in England and made a big loop through countries like Switzerland, Austria, Germany, and ended up in Belgium, in Bruges. The trip had some amazing highlights. I was able to walk the Louvre in Paris. I went canyoning and interlocking in Switzerland. I had the most amazing Belgian waffle in Belgium. Can't get better than that. However, I've come to realize that most experiences are a mix of some good and some bad. By the time I ended up in Bruges at the end of my trip, I was incredibly lonely. You know, it's hard to make meaningful connections when you wander every couple of days from city to city. To have some sort of connection, I would go out with fellow travelers from my hostels to local bars at night. And every time I'd rally to go to a bar, I'd question if this was, it had any benefit. It wasn't all that fulfilling, and most nights ended with someone vomiting on themselves or on the floor outside the bar. By that first night in Bruges, I was over this whole trip. I was over all of it. I was entirely unsatisfied and emotionally exhausted. I just wanted to go home. Maybe you can resonate, re resonate with this experience, or maybe you've had another type of challenging, prolonged season. It could be a long battle with anxiety or depression, or a failing body with sickness and sickness, sickness after sickness. Or maybe you've gone a long time without real or meaningful friends. 
Or maybe you've felt unsure of your purpose, questioning your career choices. You know, almost all of us, if we think deeply and honestly, have had some type of experience that has felt barren of life in which we might classify what I'm calling time in the wilderness. But let me return to my story because something unexpected happened. God met me that next day in Bruges in an unexpected place. It wasn't in a church, it wasn't in a prayer, it wasn't through an ordained minister. Though if I was there, it probably would have been. <laughs> Rather, two Christians, two American Christians from Oregon, walked into my hostel room and immediately began chatting with me. Within the first few minutes, we quickly discerned our mutual faith. We spoke the same language in so many ways. I felt understood and known for the first time over my whole trip. In that conversation, life and hope came back into my body. I know without a shadow of a doubt that God met me through these two men. You know, in a cramped, L-shaped, dorm-style room with luggage strewn all over the floor on a side street in Bruges. God has a habit of meeting his people in unexpected places. And our text this morning gives us two biblical examples of that. God meets his people in areas of barrenness and in the wilderness. And when a faithful God shows up, everything changes. So let's start with this idea of barrenness. God meets his people in barren places, both physically and emotionally. Please look with me at verse one and two of Genesis 21. Let me read that for you this morning. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Sarah has been barren for 90 years at this point. It can be assumed 90 years of tears, confusion, frustration, and anger. And in a moment, by the mere word of God, everything changes. God's word, the very breath of his speech, utters life into her barren womb. Notice how the first verse says exactly the same thing. There's a redundancy here stressing that it's God who acts. Sarah's ability to conceive wasn't some fluke of biology. It would have been just as absurd to think of a 90-year-old conceiving then as it is now. And the text doesn't spend any significant time commenting on any sexual act between Abraham and Sarah. Everything within these verses stresses that God deserves all the credit. God is fulfilling his covenantal promises to Abraham from Genesis 12, 15, and 17 in this story. The whole narrative, it's been building towards this. God asked Sarah in Genesis 18, is anything too hard for the Lord? Our passage this morning answers that question, no. No, nothing is impossible for God. He can breathe life into physically barren places. This might be a tender verse for especially some women here this morning. Paige and I have had the holy privilege of walking with many wives and husbands who've struggled to conceive or who've miscarried. And yet at the same time, we have had the privilege of rejoicing with couples who've held on to hope and seen the faithfulness of God. After agonizing periods of suffering, we've witnessed the miraculous reality 
of God's ability to breathe life into barren wombs. Our God is the same God today as Sarah's then. To quote a contemporary worship song, God is a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. God's breath is not limited to stirring the winds of change physically. It can also heal and transform emotional realities. So let's witness how God met Sarah in her emotional, bro- her emotional barrenness. Look, starting at verse three. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he, had, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. This passage is chock full of laughter and joy. Not only does the name Isaac mean laughter, but Sarah speaks the word laughter twice. Once when she describes how God has made laughter for her, and again when she foretells how everyone will laugh over her because of the news. Again, Sarah is 90, and she's dwelt in the shadow of suffering and emotional sadness for years. 14 long years have gone by since God promised her a biological child in Genesis 17. 14 long years. Years of waiting, years of discouragement. If Sarah were here this morning, I wonder what she might share about the emotional toll this had on her. She must have had doubts about the likelihood of her bearing a child. That's why she has Abraham impregnate Hagar. And I wonder if she might speak of feelings of inadequacy, confusion, and consuming sadness. But Sarah's emotional reality is also transformed by the word of God. Sarah experiences laughter and joy in the full. You know, this gift of laughter, it's so potent that not only does it well up inside of her, but it also externally rains down upon her. Sarah is wholly enveloped by laughter and its accompanying emotions. Some of you this morning may have long suffered under the yoke of anxiety and depression. Others have lived burdened by sadness and grief over loved ones who've who've gone, children who've walked away from the faith. God's storehouses of joy will never run dry. They are always overflowing and God is eager to distribute joy to his famished people. To everyone who resonates with emotions like Sarah, the pain of today will never limit the possibilities of tomorrow. God can breathe life into areas of emotional barrenness. Everything is possible because of the God who transforms reality. A God whose faithfulness bursts forth in unexpected places in life, especially into areas of physical and emotional barrenness. But this is not the only unexpected place that God shows up. The second half of our story this morning Verses 8 through 21 detail the finale to the story of Hagar and Ishmael. In this section, God shows up and meets his people in a similar but just as unexpected place, the wilderness. 
There's so much relational brokenness amidst this whole Abrahamic saga. And the second half of Genesis 21 offers us no exception to that fact. In our text this morning, Sarah sees Ishmael laughing after Isaac is weaned. And if you're reading the ESV, if you're looking in our, in our chair Bibles, you should see a footnote next to the word laughing in verse 6. If you look below, it reads, possibly laughing in mockery. There's a wordplay here between mocking and laughter. Remember, Isaac's name means laughter. And so Ishmael is mocking Isaac at the core of his identity. This is a direct attack against Isaac and God's promise to work through this biological line. And so consequently, Ishmael's actions set off a chain reaction. It triggers Sarah to instruct Abraham to cast out this slave woman and her son into the wilderness of Beersheba. Abraham is aware of the gravity and life-altering realities of this ask for Hagar and Ishmael. This is why if you look in verse 11, the text states that Abraham was very displeased by this request. I want you to bear in mind that family, that was central to reality during this period. It was identity, security, it was legacy. Family was the linchpin of existence. To cast this family into the wilderness in this fashion is to strip all of this away from Ishmael. Hagar and Ishmael are being put in a tragic and hopeless situation. It's a death sentence, not only because of the physical conditions of the wilderness, but also because of its social impact upon them. As I said in the introduction, many of us have already experienced seasons in what I've called wilderness, a wilderness season. And if you haven't yet, you will. The reason for this is that God's faithfulness doesn't prevent his people from seasons in the wilderness. God's faithfulness doesn't prevent his people from seasons in the wilderness. I don't know why God allows such seasons, and I can't foretell their duration. What I can do is draw your eyes back to the text for a practical tip of what to do when you're in them. Look with me starting at the end of 16. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And an angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to him, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. If you're currently in the wilderness, lift up your voice to God. Bring your situation before God who hears. God hears the voice of his people. He responds to pleas for mercy. Both Hagar and Ishmael call out to God. Even though we see some of what Hagar is thinking and feeling, the text interestingly says that God hears the voice of the boy, Ishmael. Now why is that? Why does God specifically hear the voice of Ishmael, this bastard son. Outside of the unique fact that the word Ishmael literally means God hears, the true answer is found a few verses prior in verse 13. God has covenanted 
himself to make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is Abraham's offspring. This truth is echoed again at the end of verse 18. God hears and responds to Ishmael as a fulfillment of his promises to Abraham. God stands in the gap and serves as Ishmael's true father when Abraham could no longer fulfill this role. That's why God himself hears Ishmael when his mother abandons him under a bush to die. God never abandons his people when he makes a promise to them. He didn't abandon Sarah, and he doesn't forsake Ishmael. And for you today, you can bank on the truth that he won't abandon you either. God has made a promise to his people in the book of John, chapter 14. He says, I will never leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Even if you are in your greatest heartache, the most difficult trial or poignant pain, at the heart of the wilderness, God shows up. And when God aligns himself with his people, everything changes. Look at what he does on behalf of Ishmael, starting at verse 19. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and fulfilled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. In this instance, God miraculously provides this excommunicated family with life-giving waters at their moment of greatest need. But God does something much more profound. He guarantees unending faithfulness to Ishmael. The text says, and God was with the boy. When God is with somebody, this isn't a 21st century emotional platitude. Rather, God's withness means that his unfailing presence will be with that person, even if it feels like the deck is stacked against them. Ishmael is therefore guaranteed the fulfillment of God's promises, no matter how unlikely it may seem. Ishmael will flourish under any circumstance. God's presence with Ishmael is what makes the final line of our text possible. It reads, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Even though Ishmael doesn't have a prominent family with high social status, even though he doesn't have wealth in gold, land, or animals, Ishmael still obtains a wife. A great nation will indeed come through Ishmael because God will see to it. God has promised it. I want to close with one more story. I met a man here through my role at Holy Trinity who for the sake of, and I always get this word right, anonymity, we'll call Gerald. Gerald grew up among the eastern tobacco fields of North Carolina. Challenging circumstances in his life resulted in some terrible decisions in his younger years. He ended up convicted of murder and spent many years in prison. This could have been the end of the road for Gerald. He certainly had moments of thinking so. He attempted multiple appeals, tried every avenue the system al allowed, and I'm sure spent countless hours in his cell trying to come up with a way to freedom, all to no avail. But Jared's story doesn't end there. Not of his own doing or ability, the Lord showed up for Gerald in prison. 
God met this man in his 48 square foot cell and his life was forever changed. He went from physical and emotional incarceration to spiritual and emotional freedom. When you talk to Gerald, he can tell you the exact moment in the specific verse the Lord used to convince him that he would be released from prison. And through a series of miraculous events, it came about God was not done with him. Since his release from prison, Gerald has started a company employing formerly incarcerated individuals. He volunteers his time with an organization in Raleigh called Jobs for Life. Gerald is doing so much good for God's kingdom here in Raleigh, living in newfound freedom. Only possible, only possible, because of God's faithfulness to him in an unexpected place. An area of barrenness and an experience in the wilderness can look like a variety of ways. In Genesis 21, God meets Sarah in her physical and emotional barrenness. He met Hagar and Ishmael in the wilderness of Beersheba. He met me in my loneliness and emptiness in Bruges. And he met Gerald in a prison in North Carolina. So I wonder this morning, is there an unexpected place that God might meet you? Is God already in that place? And might you only have to listen? As we close our time, let me pray for us. And as I pray, I'm gonna leave a moment of silence after to just let God speak in this space. God, we praise you that you are a God who is faithful in unexpected places. Lord, we know that your hand is present even if we don't see it. Holy Spirit, we ask that if there's something for us this morning, you might reveal it. We ask all this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.